welcome to session two of the first Sheffield Hop Fest, coordinated by uh, the team at the Sheffield Hopcast. Uh, I'm Laura, uh, I'm leading tonight's session, uh, ably assisted by James, uh, of course, um, and tonight we're discussing and drinking anything on the sour or mixed fermentation spectrum. Um, so hopefully everyone's got beer ready. Uh, I'm just going to kind of whiz around everyone, um, find out what we're all drinking, have a bit of chat, uh, kind of questions and everything. I may have somebody on hand to answer any technical questions <laughs> that anyone might have as well. Um, but uh, if anybody you know has kind of anything to pitch in, feel free. Really relaxed, really informal, uh, and just. Nice opportunity for us to all uh, virtually share a beer. Um, so I'll kick off if that's okay. Um, I've brought um, a beer from my favourite brewery that I visited last year, uh, which is Almanac Brewery in California. Um, they're based in Alameda, which is like a little offshoot near San Francisco, um, on a really, really weird uh, kind of abandoned. Um, army base and some kind of military base uh, where it's just miles and miles of empty buildings in various stages of dilapidation and you kind of walk for about a mile off the bus and just come across uh, a building absolutely stuffed full of a huge brewery they've got quite a big clean side in there now as well they've had quite extensive expansion but they've also got an absolutely incredible um, barrel store um, and fooder project um, and all sorts of things. Uh, so this beer is a 7.2% blonde ale aged in wine barrels with apricots and cherries. Um, so pretty excited to try this one. Um, I'll just kind of come round in kind of the order that I can see you on the screen just so I uh, don't forget anyone, hopefully. <laughs> um, and if you just want to tell us what beer you've brought, um, a little bit about why you've brought it, Please don't feel like you've got to wait until I get to you to start drinking it. Um, if you want to provide like tasting notes and that sort of thing, uh, all very welcome. So uh, I'll go that way around from myself. So Declan, you're up first. I thought you might say that. Um, <laughs> I brought two beers because um, I'm indecisive, but also they're both fairly common. Um, so I thought other people might have them. So I didn't want to um, have the same as someone else. So I brought a backup. So the first one I brought was a Duchesse de Bourgogne, if I'm saying that right, um, which people have seen before. Um, it's just a kind of classic uh, Sars Flanders Red, isn't it? Uh, Flemish beer. Um, it's the first beer I ever bought that or ever drank. It was a sour beer, kind of unashamedly sour beer that I enjoyed. Um, and I got it in, in a bar in Cardiff when I was studying there. Um, and it was, I think they'd aged it for about... Um, six months they said and it had really taken the edge off it and rounded it and that kind of balsamic taste got really nice um, and the other one I brought is Jack Dorr from St Mars the Desert local brewery um, I've had this um, since it first came out was it a month ago so it's not very aged but for a saison it's kind of had a bit of time to do something in the can and um, it was delicious when I first got it anyway so they're kind of opposite ends of the kind of mixed firm Kind of world this is really sour um dave will probably tell me it's not really sour um and this one um and this one is a saison which is quite clean for a saison and it's more dry and not sour at all i was talking about the major decide which one you want to drink the most first uh <laughs> yes i think mainly because it's been such a kind of hot day i think the st mars the desert one because um, it's really, really refreshing. It's really clean. Um, I love the kind of peppery dryness of saisons when it's hot. It's a really good summer beer. Great stuff. Thank you. Uh, next, we come to Sean. Hi, Sean. Uh, hi, uh, right then. I've got um, Dig Brew of Birmingham again, uh, 2319, which is their raspberry fruited sour. That is a great colour. That is what one would say is red. <laughs> uh, I'll read what it says because I have to remember this. I can't remember it all. Uh, bear with me one <laughs> second. Uh, kettle soured with lactobacillus 
plantarum and fervented with Voss, conditioned over raspberry, Madagascan vanilla pods, and pink Himalayan rock salt. And it is absolutely bang on and gorgeous. Yeah, it looks great. Sucker oh, quite sharp. I wouldn't say sour, I'd say tart. Um, it is only 5.2%, so we could have quite a few of them out in the sun. And uh, spot on. Nice. Yeah, I feel like I do need to say thank you very much, everyone who has come indoors from the uh, lovely sunshine to uh, to join in today. Um, yeah, great to see you all. Um, so, Dave, you're up next, or Bernard, should I say? <laughs> um, yeah, so, as I said in the preamble, um, I carelessly drank all my really obscure stuff. Um, but So I've, I've, I've got three since we're on for an hour. So at the moment, uh, I'm drinking this, which I don't think the camera's actually doing justice to the colour of it. It's um, oh, that's a bit better. So that's the colour it's come out. It's absolutely full of uh, black currants and blueberries. It's from uh, Horizont Brewery in uh, Budapest. Um, I've been ordering a lot of beer from abroad, um, and I've just had a delivery from a Hungarian shop. Um, mostly sours. Um, it's a little bit. It's a bit of an unsour, um, in my view. It's the, the beer itself doesn't seem to be sour at all. There's just the tartness <clears throat> from the berries. Um, so I'd have liked more sourness in the actual beer. And then for after that, I've got more blackberries and blueberries from White Frontier in Switzerland. And then an old classic to finish with, um, Marriage Parfait from um, Bone. Um, so that will be... That will be my last, well, not last one today, but last one during this. Great stuff. I uh, should have probably introduced you a bit better than that, Dave. For anybody listening who doesn't know, uh, Dave is the uh, Dave is Steel City Brewing, um, so another of uh, Sheffield's um, brewing gurus that we've got with us tonight, which is great. Uh, so moving on, uh, Laura Bainbridge-Hattersley, you're next. Hi. I... I've brought a sour IPA so because I thought I've got like a salad drawer um full of <laughs> a little project and kernel and stuff and I thought but I thought people might bring that stuff so I just thought basically I went to the shop and thought what's what's there and I've ended up with this from Mason's and Over Hot Brew, and it's a collab. It's called Cripster. It's a sour IPA with passion fruit. Um, that can's bonkers. The can is bonkers. It's like a skull with like hops coming out of its eyes. It's pretty metal, but colourful. Bit like myself, maybe. Uh, what, a, what a lame thing to say. Anyway, so I've never tried it before. No. Could be great. Could be, could be work. We'll find out. <laughs> We'll look forward to finding out in a little moment. <laughs> uh, Nath, you're next. Hey, so I've got um, it's another classic. It's the, the Road and Back Grand Crew, which I think for me was uh, my sort of gateway into, into sour beer, really. I went to Belgium in, um, in 2016, and I fell in love with this beer and sort of fell in love with the style. And obviously, I don't know if you can tell, but it is a sort of slightly older packaging. I did actually buy this one in Belgium in 2016, so it's been sat on the shelf for quite a few years uh yeah really nice i think the age has taken off the sort of sourness a bit it's a little bit sweeter it's a bit more muted but still really really enjoyable really enjoying it great stuff um we've got uh, another familiar face who joined us uh last night as well uh who um has also already been a guest on the uh hopcast uh, welcome back simon hello hello thank you um can you hear me all right yeah. yeah. Oh, good, good. Um, right. I've got something that's almost like, I suppose you could call it a supermarket, supermarket Lambic. Cause I think this is available in Waitrose, bizarrely enough. This and the Creek, I think are available in Waitrose. So, uh, uh, bone, 
Oud Goose. This is kind of 7% Lambic. Um, I kind of don't drink that much of this kind of stuff. So this has kind of been sat in the cupboard or the fridge or garage or wherever it was for quite some time. And I thought tonight seemed a good opportunity to uh, to crack it open. And then I've cracked it and go, wow, this is really good. Why have I just kind of not drunk it for a year? Um, so yeah, um, really, really nice, really dry, really, really dry. Uh, and also I thought I would uh, put it in my little Cantillon glass from last year's uh, Zwan's Day because uh, we actually had uh, a venue in Birmingham last year. Uh, the, the fabulous Cork and Cage were part of Zwan's Day last year. So, um, yeah, um, that's that's what I'm drinking. As I say, don't normally drink too many of these, and it was a toss-up between this, and I've still got a can of um, St. Miles of the Desert, Field Mouse's Farewell in the fridge, which I absolutely love, but I thought, no, we'll go with the the one that I haven't already had about three cans of. So that's, that's my beer. Oh, thank you. I'm really enjoying kind of the variety of places that people have been able to get hold of these beers. I think, um, you know, sours and mixed fermentation in particular are the kind of thing that don't necessarily spring to mind as being a particularly accessible beer style. But, you know, like you say, you can now get that in Waitrose. And I know there's some sour IPAs and fruit sours in Morrison's and all sorts. So uh, that's, great to see that people are able to give them a try a little bit more easily yeah get um, a bit more mainstream yeah yeah, yeah. definitely we've just got a bonus cat <laughs> um ah oh, sorry so for anybody that's not watching this on video form you're missing out because that is a great cat <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Um, so the reason that I uh, chose to go with this theme, as well as being the beer, a beer style that I really enjoy drinking, is that this weekend uh, I would have been in Amsterdam at Carnival Britannomyces, where the whole city is dedicated to celebrating this style of beer. Um, all of the bars have, oh, I think about 12, 14, quite a lot of bars with um, a huge tap selection um, and various events going on around the city and one of the people who would have been there with me uh, is uh, Michael so uh, Michael what beer have, uh, have you brought along today? Hello um, I had to dig around in my cupboards and I was going to bring something relating to kind of Albert Animosis because I'm also very distraught that I'm not in Amsterdam this weekend but um, in the end I ended up just picking something out of the fridge, which is single barrel version of Colonel's Bier de Saison. So, um, yeah, often they do fruited versions of these. This is unfruited, so standard yellowy colour. Um, but the special thing about this one is that it's um, all from a single Tuscan red wine barrel, um, whereas usually these releases feature a blend of barrels and folders. Oh. Um, that's very nice. I don't think I've ever had an unfruited beer de saison actually from Colonel. I've had quite a few of the different fruit ones, but I don't think I've tried that. Yeah, they do some uh, dry hopped ones, often with um, British hops. Like they they did a, a Goldings one recently, for example, um, which is very nice. So yeah, look out for them. Yeah, we'll do. Um, Catherine and Martin, welcome. Hello. Have you both brought a beer, or are you? Uh, are you? Have you brought a collective beer, or what have you got for us? I've got a couple of beers that we should, we're just um, finishing the first one off that we brought along. So I think it's one that uh, people might have already tried quite a bit. It's the strawberry and cucumber sour from Brick Brewery, um, which I think one of us is enjoying more than the other one. Mine's finished, and Catherine's still working on hers. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's only three point eight percent, but it tastes delicious. It is quite sort of um, I like I guess halfway between tart and sour. I know it's a strawberry and cucumber. It kind of reminds me of those fizzy watermelon sweets, um, which taste I really like um, the taste of. Um, I don't know how you find it too much? No, it's nice. I'm not like a big sour person. That's good. Um, and then after that, we got the. Uh, Gooseberry and elderflower sour from Vault City, um, and I've not tried anything by them before, so quite looking forward to trying that one next. Oh, nice! I also th I think I've mentioned on uh, a long time ago on the podcast the brick cans of their sour range. I absolutely yeah. love. I think it's my favourite kind of branding that's out there at the moment. Yeah, uh, I'll put it up there. The I think it's really nice too. 
and Lou, uh, you're next. Hello. Um, okay, so I have a can of Dusky from the Cromer Herring, which are mm -hmm. a brew pub in Utrecht. Um, so this is a Mosaic and Simcoe Sour IPA as well. Um, it has a yeast I had to look up, actually. Um, so Saccharomyces trois, so Bruxellensis, I think. Um, I was expecting it to be a little bit funkier, but it's not really. It's quite a sort of almost like sherbet-y. More tartness, actually, like people have said. So it's really nice and perfect for today, actually. It's going down very well. Yeah. Um, Nice. So I got this from, yeah, I got this and a couple of other ones from a local bottle shop, the ones that I think they exported and then went and immediately bought a mix pack from the brewery that came this afternoon. Hooray! Um, <laughs> Good timing. Yeah, and if I finish that one, I have um, a Spanish kettle sour from Peninsula Brewery in Madrid, which um, my best mate lives in Madrid, so I got this last time I went to see him. So it's been in my fridge far too long. It needs to go in my face. Awesome. Nice uh, international selection that we've all brought along between us, I think. Um, and now, uh, James, thanks for waiting patiently. What have you brought along? Quite all right. There's some very impressive um, colours on some of the beers, which makes me feel a bit inadequate because mine actually doesn't look particularly impressive. It just looks very kind of beery. However, I think the can makes up for it. Um, so I've got Das East Technosex. Um, which has got like a shimmery sort of can. I think you can see that shimmering around in the uh, in the light. Um, so this is from Upfront Brewing, who I think are in Glasgow, and it's a passion fruit and key lime goza with pink Himalayan salt and Indian coriander seeds. Um, it is. I mean, I could try and make it out like say, oh, I, you know, I read it and thought that sounds really nice. I bought it for the can and for the name. They're the reasons that oh, I bought yeah. it. But actually, <laughs> the fact that um, so obviously lime. Himalayan salt, the coriander seeds, you kind of feel it's going to be very sour, but the passion fruit really kind of levels it out. And it's almost got kind of like a, almost like a sweet and sour thing going on. It's really balanced and quite subtle. I thought it would be a bit kind of like a bit of a, a face smacker, but um, it's not actually, it's quite, it's quite gentle and feels like kind of, you know, the back end of a really nice summery day. It just feels perfect. It's, it's actually really, really good. Um, I've got a lot of friends up in Glasgow who um, are, I'm in a WhatsApp group with, and they are um, forever going on about this beer. So I was quite surprised. I found it in Turner's, um, and I didn't expect to ever see it in Sheffield because it seemed to be like very much a Glasgow-only beer. So I'm very happy to be finally drinking it. Cool. And it is... Uh Sean's just said, is it a Brewdog collaboration? No, it's not. Well, it doesn't say on it that it's a, a Brewdog, a Brewdog um, collaboration. Um, so Just the name rings a bell with something, that's all. Yeah, it mentions Overtone Brewery. Um, so it was brewed by Upfront Brewing at Overtone Brewery. Um, so I'm guessing there's a bit of a cuckoo brew thing going on there. Uh, but no, no mention of um, Brewdog. Cool. Cool. Um, and last but not least, um, I've got an extra guest today. This is Jim, uh, my husband and uh, brewer at Abbeydale Brewery, uh, running the Funk Dungeon project that we've got there. Um, so this kind of uh, beer really is his bag. So I um, thought it'd be rude not to let him come along, um, although he has just spilt his beer all over the table uh, in opening it. <laughs> so, Jim, do you want to um, go through what you've got? So this is um, a little Earth Project um, beer with um, pineapple weed and gooseberry. Um, and I was pretty comfortable in opening it just randomly on the table because normally every single um, Little Earth Project beer is flat and so to expect a bit of over carbonation and um and fobbing in the bottle took me a little by surprise um but yeah they're a brewery down suffolk way and i'm sure you'll know who know know them and, and have had many beers from them but, uh, yeah um so i know a few of us have just been uh, talking in the chat about uh, the Saccharomyces Trois, that's in a couple of the beers that we've uh, got today. I think, is that one that used to be classified as a Brett strain? It's been, yeah, reclassified about six years ago. It was um, isolated as a Brett strain. Um, 
but it is quite clean and funky. Uh, clean, not very funky when used in primary fermentation. You get lots of fruit from it um, and like orange character and tangerine and mandarin and things like that. Or at least I have when I've used it in the past. I think some people's experiences of it differ slightly. But yeah. Great stuff. Um, so um, now we all know what we're all drinking and we're all happy. Um, like I mentioned before, I think it's uh, it's great to see how many sort of different sources um, we've all been kind of finding these beers from um, and how much more accessible they've become. Um, how have people found it kind of throughout lockdown in uh, being able to get hold of uh, the kind of beers that they like to drink? Have you found anywhere new to buy them from? Um, have you revisited any breweries that you, uh, you know, that you thought I haven't drank a pint of their beer in so long? Um, that's something I want to try. Or have you discovered any new breweries that you're going to keep in your life long after this is all over? Uh, so uh, everyone feel free to weigh in. Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> I've been ordering from a couple of uh, overseas shops. Um, fortunately, we can still do that. So it's been really easy to order from Poland and Hungary and Spain. Um, and I've discovered um, a couple of breweries that I'd not had much from or anything before. So AF Brewing in Russia, who do some absolutely crazy sours. Um, and Coolhead in Finland, the same, absolutely crazy stuff. And um, the shop in the Netherlands called uh, Beer Dome has all sorts of stuff in, not just Dutch, loads of all over Europe. And I think I've got some Brazilian craft and it's like 10 euros for shipping. So it's nothing really. So yeah, I've had a, a fairly steady flow coming across the, uh, coming across from the mainland to be honest i've seen uh, seen the photos of some of your uh, bottle hauls dave with because uh, if you um, can't get to those to those places at the moment then uh, why restrict yourself in drinking their beer as well, <laughs> well exactly it's the next best thing isn't it yeah, anyone else finding anything else new I, I feel like I've been really a bit boring really because I've um, not particularly ventured outside of my sort of normal places for getting beer in Sheffield but I guess in a way that's kind of like being a positive the fact that I've been able to do that but so I moved I didn't move very far but I moved um, about half a mile up the uh, up the road when um, just before lockdown so at the start of March and it sort of meant that you know I was kind of closer to places that I've not been to before so I've kind of you know, discovered one or two places to get beer from that I didn't really know about before. Um, so I've not really felt the need to sort of venture all that much further afield, which is a, a, a bit of a shame, I guess, really. I've not, I've not particularly been very exciting with my beer choices. Well, I suppose there's been a lot of, a lot of breweries that have made it so much easier for you to not have to go anywhere as well. Um, obviously with the situation as it has been and, uh, you know, so many more doing... <laughs> Uh, deliveries and that kind of thing so um it has made it really easy for us all to to drink at home um which would be you know, great and it'll be it'll be interesting to see as places start to reopen how kind of our habits change i suppose kind of longer term and uh, whether people are you know feel confident in going back to the pub or uh, have really been enjoying drinking beers at home um as well so it'll be interesting to see what happens I would say the main way um, lockdown has affected my sour beer consumption specifically would be that obviously a lot of the more interesting ones or more sought after ones come in 750ml bottles and I live by myself so opening a 750ml bottle of one beer is a commitment. Um, it is something I do from time to time. I'm very happy to drink an entire 750 of nice beer to myself but uh, can't do it all the time, um, but I'm still buying them. They're just slowly stacking up in my cupboard. Um, so hopefully once this is over, I can have a nice bottle share with some of them. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, I think we've, we've got through a few of our 
750ml um, stash, but I think we've probably bought about double the amount that we've <laughs> been able to drink um, in the past few months. So uh, we've definitely got enough to be keeping us going. All, all day brewing down in Norfolk, who I've not really seen any beer from before, um, have released a range about, well, about three months ago or so of their age saisons and um, often quite uh, quite high ABVs, starting at about six and a half percent, but go up to about ten and a half. Um, but they've been excellent, and they're, normally they're a, like a, a cast beer producer locally, but to get those beers, some nice mixed fermentation beers out of them. It's been really good um, buying direct and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Lou's just mentioned that space can be an issue with these beers. We, we uh, when we bought our house, we got a 60 bottle wine rack in our cellar and lawn for quite a long time because we don't drink very much wine really uh, but now it's uh, completely full of <laughs> uh, mainly uh, 750s of Saison so uh, we've, um, we've we've uh, done quite well there with the, our furnishings so yeah how's everyone's beers going down has uh, anybody got anything particularly stand out this is going on I've, I've moved on to another one what have you got uh, So Wild Hag, uh, Irish Heather Sour Ale, aged in French and Hungarian oak barrels. So it smells really boozy. Where'd you get that from? This I've had, uh, I think I got it from Brewdog Online about a year ago. <laughs> um, so I've had it a while, but oh yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's got a lot of nose on it. That's, uh, it looks very oaky. Very oaky. I'm just looking at it. Yeah. Does, does, nice the does the nationality of the barrels make a difference? <laughs> French and Hungarian. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, uh, taste uh, taste totally different. Um, really? Okay. I didn't like um, American oak, for example, is way more vanillary tasting than. European oak um, and if you speak to wine nerds they'll tell you <laughs> that even barrels from different forests in France taste different. Um, at Carnival Botanomyces last year um, with Jim and Laura um, there was a talk from Hebrew's Lassiren Brewing in Australia and he was saying that he only ages his beer in barrels made by a single um, barrel maker who only sources his wood from a single forest in France. Um, he won't have anything else. Um, so it, it does make a difference, yeah. I've still got a Lassiren beer in the cellar, actually, that I brought back from, uh, from that event last year that's one of those that I almost don't want to drink it because I love the beers at the event so much that it's like built up in my head to be this absolutely amazing beer and they haven't quite found the right occasion for it just yet. Um, but that's one thing that can be really nice with this kind of beer is uh, a lot of them are, you know, sort of an, an occasion beer and uh, you feel a bit like you have to have a, an excuse to, to crack one open, um, which I think for us certainly in the past couple of months, we've just kind of, thrown that bag the wayside and like it's Thursday <laughs> let's go for it but um yeah they they do seem to be the kind of beer that can be uh, you know something quite special so. it's not something that I know anything about but um it strikes me that the kind of mixed fermentation beers have got such a different palette of flavor compared to your kind of standard uh, beer that I imagine they are really helpful in pairing with food um, I mean, I like I said, I know very little about pairing beer with food, but the I I think the palate of kind of like mixed fermentation beers, specifically tart ones, are more like wine. And um, so I imagine there's kind of it's easier for sommeliers who um, I think have been criticised in the past for not really thinking about beer when they pair drinks with food. It might be easier for them to be able to get into pairing mixed fermentation beers with food because they know that palate better. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'd agree with that. There's a lot of overlap with the, the wine world. Um, we went earlier this year. We went to a, um, a I don't really know what it was. It wasn't quite a pub. It wasn't quite a restaurant um, called the Moorcock that's up near Home Firth kind of way, uh, sort of in the middle of nowhere. Um, but looks like a, a country pub. Absolutely beautiful old building in you know just on a road on its own that does really really exceptional food and you, you, you look at that kind of thing and you think oh maybe they'll have one beer on or something like that and they had one of the best beer ranges of any pub I've been in all, all year even though I haven't had much opportunity to spend time in pubs um but uh yeah they had maybe five keg beers on uh they had like Pomona Island and Anthology from Leeds and I think they had a Magic Rock on um, and then did a, a drinks pairing uh, with their food menu uh, that did include um, at least a couple of uh, beers and mixed fermentation mm. uh, beers. Um, there's a Gers in there, yeah, um, and a natural wine. Um, and the staff very much used the same language to talk about those beers as they did about the wines, um, which was really nice to see and I think could be something that... Um, a lot a lot of restaurants could and should get on board with in my opinion uh yeah i think there's such a wide profile of flavors that you can get from beer and uh yeah it's it's so strange to go to a restaurant and um they talk so much about uh provenance and about terroir and about you know, really sourcing the food about how important locally produced you know seasonal food is and then you ask me what beer they've got. And they're kind of like, uh, I think we've got some Becks. And you think, well, why have you, how can you not translate that kind of passion for the taste of something into some, into an area that's so close by? And mm. it, you know, it's, it's not even an afterthought. You kind of think they've just, you know, they've, they've completely outsourced the beer to someone else. And just, they've just bought whatever there is. Um, and it, it's definitely changing. You know, like, you, like yourself, I've been to restaurants where I've been really impressed by their beer selection, but, it's still, um, it's still unusual. It's still unusual to go to a good restaurant and be like, wow, there's loads of beer here that's, um, it's not only good quality beer, but they've thought about why it's on the menu. They've thought about it in the same way a restaurant would have thought about wine. Yeah. But also when, when they're talking about locality <clears throat> and talking about the local, um, the produce, that they could point you to the field that the beef, that the cow could grow, like, and that kind of thing in some places. And yet, if they've got a wine list from the Americas and New Zealand, it's like you're, you're still you're losing everything by adding those food miles back in when you could be also increasing the, the range of option from breweries, both like, yeah, from breweries or cider makers or, or, or wine, wine producers here in the UK. There's plenty at the moment and more cropping up that, that are kind of offering something similar in terms of the, the flavour profile that you can really build a tasting menu out of and, and the kind of crossover of language that's starting to happen is, is great, both, both with natural wine um, and um, good cider and mixed fermentation beer. Is, uh, it's great and it's great that people are starting to have that kind of conversation. I'm surprised that more um, restaurants don't come to breweries and say, right, we've got this dish, here's the beer we want to pair it with, but it doesn't exist. Will you make it for us? We want it to taste like this. Or we want to pair it with this sort of food. Can you make us something like this? And we want it to be local. And we want you to use local ingredients wherever you can. I don't know whether Abbeydale's had that, whether anyone's approached Abbeydale's say, make us a beer to go with our food. Not, not particularly, um, not yet. We've had some contact with some chefs who we were, like one uh, Heathen was involved with uh, on the Great British menu on the last season. But also it is happening across other breweries. So we look at... Um, um, what's it? A Master Chef winner, Tim, something, and he has a restaurant called Namban, and um, did a beer with um, Wild Beer a, a couple of years ago, and a restaurant in London has just made a beer with um, oh, what's it? my name's losing them, um, James uh, James who is now at um, Harbour with the the Radius Project. So they're happening, but that's two examples out of probably the only two examples. So yeah, it, there is contact there with people, but often people just want to use 
pale ale because I don't know, <laughs> I still don't know enough about what beer can do. Mm-hmm. We saw a really nice example of that, just um, I guess to tie into that one, we went, is our last uh, meal out before lockdown actually, so it's kind of sticking in the mind a little bit. But we went to a really nice restaurant called Scosh in York. I don't know if anyone's been there. And um, they had a kind of like what um, you were saying, definitely in terms of like the, I think the, it was really obvious they like thought about the beer list a lot, both in terms of the variety and like some stuff that was quite funky and then some stuff that was, I guess you would say for, for people who just want to drink and like a nice glass of beer. Um, but one of their house beers was, a, I think it was like a yuzu pale that they had brewed in collaboration with Bad Company in, in North Yorkshire. Um, and that seemed cool because I guess like you were saying, Jim, it, it was very much like in their locality, but the style of beer was a bit of a fit for their food because quite a bit of it's quite like uh, East Asian influenced, and there was a lot of like Japanese and Thai and um, sort of yeah Southeast Asian flavors going on with on it, with their menu. So I thought that was cool because it obviously there was maybe like I don't know twelve beers or so on the list, keg and, and bottle. I can't remember if they had cask or not, but it seemed like you could really tell they thought about it and like what would go nicely with with their kind of food. And I think that uh, kind of echoes what everyone else was saying that we were quite struck by that that you don't still don't see that that often in restaurants which feels kind of I guess when you're used to being able to get loads of great beer in, in really good pubs and bars and off licenses it, it does feel weird that restaurants are taking so much care over the food and wine and then just yeah sticking a Cronenberg behind the bar for the beer selection. A couple of years ago I went to a restaurant in Stockport called uh, Where the Light Gets In um, I, and they have, they don't call it a wine flight uh, to go with the tasting menu, but a beverage flight or beverage menu, because it's not just wine. Like um, the first beverage we got was a cloud water mixed fermentation saison. I can't remember which one. Um, um, and then there was also tea, just tea with one of the courses, like a really nice um, green tea. Um, some of their own homemade uh, blueberry vodka with one of the uh, desserts as well. Um, so yeah, that was that was a good example of um, yeah uh, integrating beer into a sort of high end oat cuisine style tasting menu. I think I've seen it a few times where um, I don't know whether it's an easy option, but they tend to stick uh, a sweet pastry stout or something on the, as the dessert there. It seems like an obvious one, so they tend to do that, and then it's wine for the rest of the courses, which I've seen at a few restaurants. So it's out there, I guess. Even even with Scosh, it kind of like Scosh is awesome. Like I live in York, where it's not a place to go every day, but it's amazing. But um, it's kind of even gone the other way. So Turning Points Sunshine Indoors beer, the saffron donut beer, is inspired by a Scosh dessert. Like those guys have got, a, they've got quite a relationship between Turning Point and Scotch, so it's kind of gone back from the restaurant into the beer, which is really cool, I think. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Mm. Oh, I'm hungry now. The guy who Jim is referring to is Tim Anderson, who's Namban. Um, And I do remember hearing him on a podcast and pointed out that he'd got a really good beer menu when he first opened Namban, but sadly, um, people ended up just kind of going for um, just whatever the house lager was. And so he's actually had to really kind of like take the, the great bottle list that he had right back, pair it right back, because I don't know whether it was just because people already they just kind of know what they want a little bit and so they they kind of just go oh yeah i'll just have the lager that's on tap sort of thing so sadly he's had to cut his his bottle list right down i there's there's a big opportunity for some kind of beer education in good restaurants i suppose um but it is is starting to happen because in birmingham we've got a great uh michelin style restaurant carters of mosley and um he is uh the guy who who runs that is is friends with um Josh, who runs Glasshouse Brewery in Birmingham, so some of uh, some good beer appears on their menu. Uh, I've yet to go yet, but it's kind of slow to happen. But I just think that the t- when people then do do it, is the take up not good enough for them to warrant having a load of expensive bottles kind of sat in the cellar? It's, it's a difficult one, really. I think that's part of the um, problem with beer in general is that it is always seen; it's always underpriced. 
So whether that's from, from cask, cask beer, people see it that it should be a cheap product when you're kind of not making anywhere near as much money as, as it should be made. Um, but it's, it's kind of the, 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 it's seen as something that you just, you go and have six pints of and that's it. But or you do, it doesn't really matter. Whereas you're going out to a fancy restaurant, you want, you want some wine because that's traditionally what's, it's the higher, um, higher value um, drink to go with it. Whereas with the mixed fermentation saisons and the, the beers that take longer to make, they naturally, um, they, they take six months rather than six weeks. So you're going to already have a bit of a premium on them. And then the presentation of them, whether that's in um, 750 mil bottles rather than in a, in a, in a pint pot, they're all different ways of elevating what you and presenting them in a way that, that a wine drinker at a, um, at a fancy restaurant might appreciate. But also have that option in a, on a wine menu, a wine and beer menu in a fancy restaurant and people aren't taking it, then don't give them the choice. Put it on the tasting menu with the drinks pairing. And then that's what you, you kind of, you get to what. Jim, how much do you think that's to do with the kind of unpredictability of mixed firms? So um, when people order a macro lager, part of the reason is because they know exactly what it's going to taste like. Um, they've had it before and every bottle is going to be the same and kind of almost the job of the brewer in those breweries is to make sure that that's the case, that it always tastes the same. Whereas with mixed firm, part of the excitement for me is that when I pop the cork, if, it, if that's, you know, on, on that beer, I don't know what it, what's going to have happened in that bottle. Um, even if I've had a previous bottle, you don't really necessarily know, you know, what that's going to taste like because it might have changed. And that presents a kind of challenge to a restaurant that's, you know, the waiter needs to sell it. So they can be like, this beer tastes like this. Whereas they can be like, well, we think this beer might taste like this, but actually we've had it for six weeks and so it might be a bit different to that. Do you think that's like a positive thing or is that maybe a challenge? Well, wine develops in the bottle in the same way. So, so I think when it comes to, to lagering in restaurants, people just want a drink that's slightly alcoholic, fizzy, refreshing. It's going to um, help cleanse and you, you might have two pints during a tasting menu. Whereas with, yeah, the kind of, and then there's uh, the, the mixed fermentation. It's, you need a bit more training to sell them, obviously, but when restaurants already are putting that training into, into tasting, then you should, know how you, you should know how to store your beer, you should know how it develops, you should know which ones work in your cellar and for your food. And that's part of whether that needs to come a bit more from us, the kind of production side of it, um, and kind of and telling people and trying to training people of, of, of the options in flavours. Suppose as well, it's like we were saying earlier that the words that you use to describe mixed beers aren't necessarily words that every beer drinker would have come across. You know, like horse blanket being the one that is most springing to mind. Leathery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're words that aren't used by a majority of, of people who drink. Um, so, you know, maybe... Maybe it's something that as, as it becomes a little bit more accessible and more people start embracing it and there are more festivals dedicated to it and that kind of thing that hopefully that language will start to grow and develop and become a bit more ingrained and, and become a bit more familiar with people. Can, can I ask a question to our um, brewers that are uh, that are on the call? Um, I'm, I'm probably the least educated of, of the the people at this session in terms of sour beers and particularly kind of you know what really makes what what really defines the difference between a, a sour a kettle sour a saison a gozer mixed fermentation it, it, it kind of for me it's just it's a sour i'm either going to like it or i'm i'm not i don't know a lot about the difference i'm quite intrigued about the the process not necessarily of brewing but how it kind of works in terms of, you know, is there a point where you kind of start planning uh, a beer that you think is going to be a gozer? And as you kind of work on it, you think, actually, you know, we need to change this. It needs to go in a different direction. Do you, do you, 
I guess I'm saying like, does, do you, do you start by thinking we're going to make a goza or do you kind of start with the fruit you're going to use? And then ultimately it, it kind of, you know, it becomes what it becomes, if that makes sense. I think the, the thing is with them. So there's, there's quick souring and there's, there's slow sours and then there's saisons really quick souring being like kettle sours or which are, which acid is produced really quickly over 36 hours. And that's also, which is done with a pitch of lactobacillus. Um, plantarum was mentioned, um, but any of the strains of lactobacillus that you get in, that occurs in, in, in yogurt, in live yogurt, essentially all they're doing is, is producing acid. And you do that quickly, it's really controllable, it's easy, you can make some nice, simple, um, acidic beer that way. And then you kind of, for me, then you need to layer it up with additional flavours and then that's when you when you all your fruit comes in um but that for that we will plan to make that beer we will make a rattler which has got all the lemons in it we, we will make um a tropical which has got the mango and passion fruit in it you know so we'll plan that um and for a, a goes is essentially at the moment is the way that they've been bastardized have been are just kettle sour beers that have then had a little bit of salt in them. So that, that's all that they are now. Um, but then that's done, generally you do that to taste, just to make sure that all the flavors are in balance and you're not making, you're not gonna send something out that's taste of the Dead Sea. Um, but then there's the slower sours, where for me, we kind of do a different way of, we've got a, a mixture of things happening for our, in our barrel store. And so the, the acid is still produced by lactobacillus, but rather than 36 hours, it can take a longer period of time. It can take two months, it can take six months, it can take 12 months. It can take, I've got barrels that have got beer in them that have been there for three years. And they're just kind of sat maturing, aging away, but they will do that along with other yeasts. So we've got the bacteria in the form of lactobacillus and maybe pediococcus, and then um, we'll have Saccharomyces standard ale yeast and potentially Britannomyces, which is where we get the horse blanket flavor from. We, um, Britannomyces just ferments every single bit of sugar and makes it really dry, but that takes time. And then other things happen during the, those fermentations. So they're a different, an, a different process, but to it end up with sour beer. And, it, and while the end product is, is, has got lactic acid in it and alcohol in it, the processes to get there are completely different. I think my favourite analogy for it um, that um, really helped me kind of understand why mixed firm beers can be a little bit less predictable and changeable in flavour was um, somebody compared um, Saccharomyces that you would uh, create a... A, a clean beer with as being like a dog and you can train it and you can tell it what to do and the vast majority of the time it will do it and you will as long as you look after it well um, and train it properly and treat it in the way that it needs to be treated it will pretty much all of the time do what you tell it to uh, whereas Britannomyces and the kind of mixed fermentation and wild beers are like a cat so you can tell them what to do and you can have a bit of an indication about how they'll behave, but you don't really know. And you might put them in one situation and they'll roll on their back and let you tickle their belly and that'll be fine. But the next time they might scratch you or they might go and shit in your handbag and you never really know. And uh, so I thought that was quite a nice way of uh, describing it, uh, which has uh, stuck with me pretty well. I think I need to see that in a book somewhere about beer. Yeah, it's a good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think has anybody got any other questions? I think we're coming towards the end of the session. Um, I was just interested to ask, like, is, um, what other people have found with like uh, any mates or people that you know that don't really, they would say they don't really like beer. It seems kind of it's cool and kind of sounds a bit backwards, but often sours and mixed firm beers or sales that whatever seems to be something they actually like more i guess it like links back into what people were saying about um natural wine and good cider so that if people maybe feel like they don't like beer because they don't like the, 
what they would see as like a taste of hops or like a traditional like bitterness something that's like a bit funky or a bit fruity although you might maybe if it's not a total face melter but something that's sort of towards the end of the spectrum seems to be something that people can get into even if they would never normally order like a, a pint of beer i don't know like we found that mm-hmm. like, is that something that is common i've certainly found that most of my friends who've said they don't like beer they don't like hops and i've gone in with the classic gateway of sours and then a lot of them have now ended up on pastry stouts and it turns out they just they just want sweet fruity beers that that is the hops they don't want but there's plenty of beers Mm. and you know bitter or flowery so it's worked out all right i guess Cool. I think um, yesterday we did a quick little whiz round and everybody scored their beer out of 10. Um, I don't think we've quite got time to do that, but what we can do is if I get everyone to do a thumbs up, uh, it was okay, or a thumbs down, and I'll do a quick count for the benefit of anyone listening um, and not watching the video. Uh, So can I see those thumbs, please? Mine's a 10. Mine's a 10. Oh, everybody loves their beer! Yay! <laughs> that makes me happy. Um, we also need to get our um, now traditional, if you can call something that we've been doing for three months traditional, Laura's ready already, uh, and get a, a little screenshot of us all uh, drinking our beer. James, are you? I don't know how to take this picture. Please may you do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everyone just needs to just hold their uh, cans. And if you've still got any beer left, if you want to hold your glass up at the same time, that's fine. Uh, and uh, everyone smiles at the same time. And that's fine. Then we take a screenshot from the video afterwards, you see. It's not that high tech, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but thank you ever so much to uh, everyone for joining us. Um, if you have any questions following the session or anything uh, that you think of, obviously, please do feel free to get in touch with us. Um, we've already had two sessions. So James was yesterday evening with his loud and proud beers. Um, and then coming up in an hour's time, uh, Adam is leading a strong beer session, uh, 6% plus. So hope you all enjoy if you've got something big to go for uh, after you've after you've finished on your sours uh, and then uh, finally to uh, round off the weekend sean is taking us through stout sunday um at 6 p.m tomorrow so we'll be chatting about that on that one then uh, so i think this is there still spaces on those james if anybody does want to join on uh, I think there's literally one space left on uh, Stout Sunday tomorrow. So if you want to do that, go, 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 grab the ticket. Um, and um, there actually are spaces left uh, for the session in an hour. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that the Eventbrite has closed for that now. Um, so if anyone hasn't got a one for that and does want to attend, just um, find us on Twitter at Chef Hopcast. Just drop a DM through and I'll send you the link through for that because we have got space. It's just the tickets, I think, go off sale. I think it's two hours before just so we can keep an eye on numbers. Great. Well, thank you ever so much for uh, joining us, everyone, and uh, hope you all have a great rest of the weekend. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks, Thank you.